Say that again. He said, you won't make a player. So I said, well, that's your opinion. I have my opinion. I think I will. So I walked out of the office, speaking to Jimmy. I said to myself, not, dis no, not being disrespectful or anything, that really said to me, people have been doubting me from a very early age because George did it when I was at Arsenal. Jimmy done it when I was at Fulham. And my mentality was then, I'm going to make a professional footballer. Yeah, prove no. them wrong. At what level it's going to be, I'll never know. But I will make professional football. And fortunately for me, I made it to the highest level. See, what I would do if that was me and call me immature. But when I won the Champions League, I would have sent them both a naked video of me with my medal. <laughs> Did you ever rub it into them after you won everything the domestic game had to offer? and you won Young Player of the Year, and you went further and further. Did you ever lower yourself to the type of the level that scumbags like me are at? No. For me, I look back at people like that now. Obviously, Jimmy Hill's passed away, and yeah. I look at George Graham. Those are the kind of things that spurred me on. You know, because you've got to look back and turn around and say to yourself, right, why did you get to the next stage? What, what are the kind of things that spurred you on? You know, in football, you're always going to get knockbacks. You're always going to get 101 knockbacks. For me personally, getting that knockback from George was the first one for me to say, right, I'm going to go to Bristol City to do as well as I can do. You know, when I went on loan to uh, Fulham, Jimmy will turn around and say, you're not good enough. That was another thing that spurred me on. So I, I look back at my career and saying, with all the ups and downs you have, I've achieved most probably more than what I expected to achieve. But those people have only galvanised me to do it even more. You went to Bristol City... And then you went to Newcastle very, very quickly because of the job that you did at Bristol City, which was like 12 goals in your first 12 games. And Kevin Keegan, the great Kevin Keegan, took him to Newcastle. What a gentleman, what a working class hero. Surely he would not be like George Graham and Jimmy Hill. What did he call you? Adrian. <laughs> Adrian, when he arrived. So you must have just thought, not again. No, it was very, very funny because... I remember when they came in for me and uh, Russell Osman was the manager at uh, Bristol City and he, he couldn't find me. But I was living by myself at that time, so I was doing all my laundry and all that kind of stuff. So as Oz couldn't find me, he put um, a note on my windscreen. So I've come out and Oz said, right, give me a call. Um, we just had an offer from Newcastle for you. So I called Oz. Uh, he said to me, look, we've just accepted a bid from Newcastle. Kevin Keegan wants to speak to you. So I said, OK, not a problem. So Kevin calls me, he goes to me, look, Adrian, we want you to come up to uh, Newcastle tonight. Uh, is there any possibility of that? So I said, to be honest, Kevin, I can't make it tonight. So he goes to me, what do you mean? I said, I've got to finish my laundry off. <laughs> you know? And I think to these days, he said to me, he said to me many times, I can't believe you actually said you had to finish your laundry off. So I said, well, I ain't going to tell you any lies. You know, I have to finish my laundry off. So I flew out the day after and then I ended up signing for Newcastle. Being and, and this will be mostly about Manchester United, but I think this is critical to sort of the, the, how he ended up at Manchester United. You, you arrive at, at Newcastle and you're a phenomenon almost straight away, scoring hat-tricks. I, I think it's underestimated how much Manchester United fans value good football above winning. I think that's always underestimated. I think Liverpool have it in their genes as well. But I think we'd all agree... The religion of football probably is at its strongest in Newcastle. I mean, if you're a Newcastle United hero in Newcastle, you are a megastar. You are an absolute megastar. How, as someone who I've met on a few occasions now, this guy's very introvert. You're fairly shy. You enjoy your own company. You enjoy your family. 
How difficult was it to be a Newcastle United natural-born hero, which is what you were? Uh, very, very tough. Um, it, for me personally, it was most of the toughest part of my career because I, I've gone from playing for Bristol City and playing a game, going home, chilling out, or doing what you want to do. I ended up going to Newcastle, playing a game, going out and getting mobbed going out. You go to the supermarket, end up leaving a trolley in there and going home. You know, it, it, it was like that, and it, it was so hard to explain because no one actually understood it. They thought, oh, this is what you got to enjoy. It's not a case that you want to enjoy. It's a case of, let me play football, go home, chill out, and then I'll come back and I'll play football for you. But when I need my time, it's my time. And Newcastle fans, I, I appreciate even more now because I'm a lot older, but when you're in it and you've come from Bristol City and you've gone to Newcastle where everything, football, 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 it's a very, very difficult thing to deal with. There was one guy that you got to play football with though, at Newcastle United, and I think it lives with you to this day. And I think he's one of those footballers who goes on the same list as Eric Cantona, that goes on the same list as Gianfranco Zola or Dennis Bergkamp. It doesn't matter who you support. The guy was an absolute genius, and that was Peter Beardsley. Great player. Well, I think Peter was one of the best players I ever played with. I, I say to so many people now, I learned so much from him, you know, because football intelligence was phenomenal. And, when people talk about now positions are playing in between the lines or getting in the hole or whatever it may be, Peter was doing that 20 odd years ago. You know, well, longer than 20 odd years ago. You know, because football, for him, his brain was working, what, streets ahead of people. When you're talking about, what was it, the 96 World Cup, the way he used to play out front with Gary Lineker and produce all those chances for Gary Lineker. I mean, when I went to Newcastle. And Pete was doing exactly the same thing for me. He was a phenomenal player. He was a phenomenal player for me personally to learn from because I was a kid in the game, you know, trying to aspire to get to the level that he was at. Euro 96, World Cup 94. Yeah, 94. Euro 96, yeah, yeah. yeah, I think that would have been that, that particular era. So all things at Newcastle aesthetically look brilliant. The guy's an absolute hero. What happens, I think, on the Friday is... A Newcastle United fan has your face tattooed on their entire leg. Three days later, you joined Manchester United. <laughs> Did you ever meet that poor guy? I, I have never, ever met the poor guy, but no doubt he cost my right few quid to get it done. And after that, I no doubt he tried to get rid of it as well, but it, it was totally out of my hand because that, that come about... It, it, was a strange, it was a strange situation, to be fair, because the, the way I fell out with Kevin before Kevin sold me, you know, was, it was very, very strange because we played, I think we were going to play Wimbledon in the Cup. And we've gone down to London. We've just played Southampton. We've just lost to Southampton. We've gone up to London, and we had to train, I think it was the morning after, and I, 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 was, I was knackered, absolutely knackered. I, I played every game, and I was knackered. And we went out for training. I remember Kevin saying to me, oh, Coley, uh, don't you fancy it today? So I said, no, I'll be honest with you, boss. I don't fancy it because I'm, I'm really tired. So he goes to me, right, if you don't fancy it, you can fuck off. <laughs> so I said to him, well, if that's the way you will, I will fuck off. <laughs> no, so I packed my bags and I left. And I went to go see my girlfriend. And as I knocked the door, she said to me, why are you here? Have you not got a game tonight? So I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the manager told me to fuck off. <laughs> so she goes to me, why have you done just that? So I said, well... I'm only doing what I'm told. You know, it's as simple as that. So we fell out after that. And I don't think Kevin ever, he never forgave me for doing that. So he made his mind up to sell me to Manchester United. Yeah. So you're a man of truth, even if that truth yeah, yeah. is in the short term. 
you know, career-defining, awkward, affects your career, improves your career. So were you someone who responded in your whole career to the truth? I love the truth. I love the truth because the, the way I was grew up, brought up, my mum and dad always said to me, speak the truth. Yeah, it hurts. Of course it hurts, but that's why it's the truth. And I fall out with people because I speak my mind. And every manager I've, I've played under, I've spoke the truth and I've, I've upset every manager I've played for. But that, that's just football, you know. I think the good managers would deal with it, take it on the chin and say, right, you're X, Y, Z, but I'll get on with it. And that's why I always say, for me personally, Sir Alex Ferguson's the best manager I've ever played for. I think that's a good metaphor for life, not just football, you know, is be as honest, honest as, as you can. Not, not sure about that shirt. Um, th throughout this chat, Chu, listen, don't be shy. Chu is here to put your questions. So this is all going to be united here in Bit of England as well. And we'll talk about that. But I, I want the hands up. I'll guide us through every season with him. Um, when it's your time when it's that particular subject, get your hands up and then we'll go really random. We've got to start with the, the signing for United and did it come through a meeting with Sir Alex Ferguson? Uh, it came through um, because I don't know how he found out. I, I fell out with uh, Kevin Keegan, but I remember him saying to me, you know, that he spoke to Joe Royal and Joe Royal had mentioned that I'd fallen out with Kevin Keegan. There might be an opportunity him trying to get me because I, he went in for Stan Collymore and Frank Clark was the manager at Nottingham Forest and no Frank, Frank Clark turned it down and I think he went in again for Stan but Frank had left um, the office for the day so I think he, he spoke to Joe Royal and Joe Royal said to him look I think you got a chance of getting Andy Cole at Newcastle as I say the rest is history he made the phone call to Kevin Keegan uh, they decided on the fee of £6 million at that time and uh, Keith Gillespie and the deal was done within almost, what, 24 hours? And the rest is history. What was your first chat with Sir Alex Ferguson? My first chat was, I was just about to watch them play Sheffield United in the FA Cup. And my agent at the time phoned me and said, look, you're going to go to Manchester United. I didn't believe it because I always said I could only leave Newcastle to go to Manchester United because the club I, would always, I always wanted to play for. So my first chat with Sir Alex Ferguson was on the coach when they was on the coach coming back from Sheffield and I was on the motorway going down to Manchester and the ironic thing is I went past the coach on the way down to uh, Manchester from Newcastle when they was on the way back from Sheffield. Wow, and that's where you first met? I didn't meet him till the following morning but I spoke to him that evening. And did he see you pass? I wouldn't imagine so. <laughs> because Michael Carrick told me that in his entire career he at United... He probably only talked to Sir Alex Ferguson four or five times, needed to be in his office. Because Fergie talked to you more when you were in trouble. How many times yes. were you in his office? Yeah, very, very much so. He's, uh, <laughs> yeah, if, if you're in trouble, he calls you by your Christian name. Uh, that's, I'm being honest with you. That's the only time he knew he was in trouble. He, he called you by your Christian name, one, in my office, two, yeah, and you'll get the hairdryer, three, and then get kicked out of the office. And how many times were you in there? I was in there a few times. I was in there a few times. <laughs> right, let's get as much United chat as we can. Guys, you lead it, and I'll throw in questions as we go. I want to go back to what you were talking about with Pogba and saying that Deshaun gave him a lot more freedom, and everyone kind of feels that Mourinho, it's kind of, he's got a plan, and we all know that Jose Mourinho, what he wants, he gets. 
Who do you think is going to last longer there, Pogba or Mourinho? Good question. That, that is a good question. I, I'll be honest with you, this, this is just my opinion. I think a lot will depend on this season. You know, a lot, a lot will depend on how we do in the league, how we do in the European competition, because Manchester United is a football club geared around those two things. Geared around winning the Premier League and geared around how well it be doing a European competition. So if we're cutting the gap from 19 points, we're looking to win the competition. It's as simple as that. I mean, we can't sit and think, say, oh, Man United should be finishing second. That's a bonus on last season. For me personally, coming from playing under Sir Alex Ferguson, a bonus. <laughs> he doesn't do second. And second is not a bonus because who remembers second? Come, come to start of the season, everyone talks about, oh, Manchester City won it last season. You know, so... Um, but is, it, is that it's true in 2018? You know, we talk about Mourinho doesn't do second, etc., etc. Has football passed him by a little bit, where football is now and how Pep Guardiola manages and how Klopp manages? I think it's underestimated. United fans who are 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 have watched some great football, win or lose. Whether you go all the way back to the Busby Babes and that team, the strength that they had, the flair that they had, the skill that they had, the passion that they had, the forward-looking mentality they had. This was a guy in Matt Busby, a great, by the way, people forget, a Liverpool captain most of his playing career. And this is a guy who invented the squad. He had like 20 players. He was paying 20 players. Nobody was doing that. Through to the success, I say through gritted teeth. But win or lose, I don't think Manchester United fans will accept playing football like you played for the majority of last season. Am I right? You read, you read the forums and they don't want to see players, players tethered, players not allowed to express themselves. That's in the Manchester United DNA. Can they get that under Jose Mourinho? You know, I, I, I said to you earlier, I, I watched them this season when we played Swansea at Swansea, and that was Manchester United. You know, we go there, we beat them 4-0, we're convincing. You look at that in and say, Manchester United have the players. They have the players. Um, they lost to Newcastle. I think it was last season as well. Uh, St. James's. That was Manchester United playing exciting football but losing. The punters are coming away and say, gee, we played really well there. We're happy with that because we're playing the way we can play. So there's no one who can say to me, we don't have the players because of course we have the players. You know, it's all about expressing themselves and enjoying it. And I, I generally do hope this season comes this season whereby he lets the players play and enjoy playing for Manchester United the way they should do. Do you think he will? If I give I, you, you know, a million pounds now to bet on yes or no, He's, he's going to play a better I, style of football. Where are you putting so. your million pounds? I, I, I really do hope so, because you touched on it. The way Manchester City play, the way Liverpool play, you cannot afford to be left behind by those two football clubs, because the gap gets bigger and bigger, and you need to close the gap. So I'm hoping that we do play a lot more attractive football this season. OK. Your first half season at Manchester United, from a... An individual perspective went very well. Five goals in one game, knocking them in. An instant goal machine. But most sports people I've ever interviewed, it's amazing they'll remember the hurt quicker than they remember the success. Does it stick with you, that? I mean, last day of the season, Blackburn Rovers win the league. Is that almost as much an abiding memory as any league title? Yeah, because you touched on it. I, 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 don't, I, I never really cared that I got the five goals in one game and I made history or anything like that. I, I remember I come to the end of that season thinking, I can't believe we've lost 
the title because I've gone to Manchester United to win the title. And that was the most disappointing thing for me that we got to the last day of the season, which a lot of people didn't believe we was going to get to because Blackburn were running away, away with it and we, we pulled them back. But to get to that last game, to I've not won the title from Macrosco, who most people had the game of his career, it was, was really disappointing for me. I, I remember my son had just been born, you know, in 95. And the disappointment I had losing the title, I actually forgot that my son was born. You know, because I, I was that disappointed in it. And I, I look back at it now and I say to myself, if I could have handled that better, it would have been a lot, a lot better for me. But in football, there's swings and roundabouts and things turn around because I got to 99 and I was fortunate to get the winner against Tottenham. So I look back at 95 and say to myself, that wasn't my day. And then at 99, it was my days, but that's just football. The little things always intrigue me. What's the true story behind the rumoured swap that was going to happen after that between Alan Shear and Andy Cole swapping one, one from Blackburn to United, one from United to Blackburn? How close was that to happening? I, you know, I'll be honest. I'll sit here and I'll be very honest. I'm not even sure. I'm not sure what happened or what was supposed to happen because in the end it didn't happen. So that's how much I know. You know, um, I, I said to you earlier previously, you know, when, when Dwight came to uh, Manchester United, there was talk of Patrick Kluivert coming to Manchester United. Patrick decided to go to Barcelona. I'm not sure if it was the weather what swayed him. He wanted to stay in Manchester or wanted to go to Barcelona. But there was always rumours about me being at Manchester United and I saw for the rumours and I was fortunate to achieve what I achieved in a fantastic team. Every season there's a story with Andy at United and if we move on to 96-97, a title, you had to fight for your place and you had both of your legs broken in one tackle. Now I don't think I could ever say that to any other player. It was Roddick, Brian Robson both. Good shout sir, do you want a job with the zone? There's a few going. Excellent, let's get a CV in. Brilliant, I need a few more researchers over here. Come on, son. The money's awful. I'm just going to let you know that in advance. <laughs> he says, it's okay, I'll work for KFC. <laughs> I love that. Andy, I mean, that moment, do you know? Do you know when a title goes in, you know, okay, there's something wrong here? Yeah, because my mindset, I came back because that season... I went to pre-season and I had bronchitis or pneumonia, one of the two. I had to come over that, so I was out for three months with that. I had to come back from that. And the gaffer said to me, look, I need to get your fitness, get back in the first team or get involved with the first team. I need you to play in a reserve game. So, of course, you want to play in a reserve game, you get fit. And then I, I remember the challenge. I remember doing it. And the crazy thing with me, I said to myself, right, get on and play on. And I couldn't even walk, never mind run, but I, I tried to stay on for another five minutes and then... I ended up coming off the pitch and I said to the doc, look, I'm struggling a little bit, doc. And he said, he goes to me, right, we send you for a scan or whatever, maybe. End up going for a scan and I end up, I broke one leg and I fractured the other. And I'm turning around and saying to myself, is this my season? You know, coming back with the illness and coming through that. But my mindset was then, if I'm ever going to do it at Manchester United, it will be after this season. After these, come, after these injuries, I will do it after that. And... I mean, true to my word, I did just that. Yeah, you, oh, I can't believe I have to say this, but I am getting paid. Uh, you did come back that season, and you did score to clinch the title at Anfield. Damn you. Andrew Cole, damn you. Um, at this stage, of course, 
the Nevilles are ensconced in this team. Skulls, but oh, the list goes on. A young kid called David Beckham. As, as someone who's watching them play, who's being fed by these players, at the time were you thinking, this is special, this is something that will be remembered? Or at the time when they're coming through, is it impossible to see it when you're that close? At, at the time coming through, uh, like I said, joining in 95, I, I joined because they were, they were all massive players at Manchester United. And when, I, when I did sign, the manager never ever mentioned that he was going to get rid of Kanchelskis, Hughes, uh, Ints, and players like that. So I was thinking, that's the team I was going into. So when he got rid of all those, I was half saying to myself, what the fuck's he doing, by the way? You know, because I had to. And I remember him pulling me in and he said to me, look, I've got rid of these players, the names I've just mentioned, but I'm bringing in these kids and they've got a chance. Well, I'm saying to myself, you said I had a chance when I come in and he had these players in. So I, I, I never expected, and I, I, all, all of us sitting there as Manchester United fans, there's no way we could all sit here and say we expected what those kids give us in the end I turn around and say you know they're all unbelievable kids every single one of them whether it's catching Newcastle in the I would love it if they they lost season whether it's clinching the title uh, at Anfield who's the one player that if you took them out of that United era those three or four years before 1998-99 and the, the famous year we'll get on to who, who, if you take that one player out, do you think we probably wouldn't have achieved that? Who was the ultimate leader of that team? The, the ultimate leader? Because, no, there was, there was all different. Gary, I think Gary was the most vocal. Gary was the most Not vocal. Not a surprise there to I anybody mean, in this yeah. room. He, 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 never, he never shut up for a minute. But I, I would say Paul Scholes. Because when, when I was there with Scholesy, yeah, he was a centre forward or a number 10 as they call it now. He was never a midfield player. So when he ended up becoming a midfield player, could I honestly sit and say he was going to end up a midfield player? No. But when he did, he was like, oh my God, what is this? Because his natural ability was a joke. You know what I mean, he was five foot eight, five foot nine, couldn't run, wasn't the quickest. I mean, asthmatic, couldn't tackle. <laughs> unless he wanted to <laughs> and what he had natural ability wise would oh my god embarrass him who did you form good personal relationships with because it's not always opposites do attract I, I, that's very good so forget about Dwight York for now and that relationship you were about to, to garner with him but say like Kino you know Canton are these characters all time characters I think of English football were, were they hard to connect with Kino's mental Eric Cantona was a little strange, if we're being honest. Um, or did you form close relationships with those types of absolute phenomenons? You mentioned Roy. Roy, for me personally, I, I get on really well with him, even to this day. Roy is not as bad as people think he is. He, he's not, seriously. No. He, he is not. He is, he is not. I, I think people look at Roy and say, oh, he's this, he's an arsehole, he's this... He's one of the funniest people you'll ever come across. Oh, I love him. He's genuinely he, funny. Oh, he's so funny. He's cutting. He's witty. But people have this perception that he's horrible. He's far from it. Yeah. He's far from it. Eric was Eric. Was Eric. You know, he, he was the only player that I played in my time at Manchester United 
that never ever got the hair dryer. Never. Really? Never. I, I remember, obviously, I just joined in 99. We played Crystal Palace, and we all know what happens at Selhurst Park, you know? Eric, Eric decides he's going to fly kick the guy in the stands, he gets sent off. I remember Norman Davis takes him down the tunnel. Norman's no longer with us. We get to full time, and the gaffer's absolutely fuming. Fuming. We went up, I think we drew the game 1 1. We're all sitting in the dressing room saying, Eric has got to get it. He has got to get it. <laughs> Eric has to get it. So the gaffer goes around, he goes ballistic at, I think it was Pally, David May, and a few others. So we all wait, he said, he's got to get it. And he goes to Eric, 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 you can't go around doing things like that, Eric. Come on. <laughs> that was it. That was it. I have no follow-up to that. That's phenomenal. Phenomenal. So you would literally put do two small things wrong in a game and maybe get the hair dryer. Camden, I could kung fu kick someone in the crowd and just get a shrug. Eric could do what he wanted to do. I love that. You know, he could do what I he wanted. I love that. Unbelievable. Right, listen, let's get as many questions fired in as we can and then I think we probably get under the treble winning season after that. Okay, so let's go back to uh, you getting called into Fergie's office for uh, the hair dryer. What's typically the reason? <laughs> Come on, we're not it, we're not you know, filming it, this. It, 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 it depends. I'll be honest, it, it depends. It depends if he's, he's caught you on a night out. Yeah, we are. Tell us about one of those. That, that was his, his his biggest bugbear was he didn't want you going out. You know, but you're young. And of course, you, you're going to have nights out and whatever it may be. But if he caught you or his mate, because the guy used to have loads of spies in town. So you nick a night out and you think, oh, yeah, I'm sweet. And then you'll come in and say, like, Andrew, I need to see you. No, no, no. I know I'm in trouble because it's Andrew. It's usually Coley. Andrew, I need to see you. And then you go in and he'd be effing and jeffing this far from your face. And he's like, all right, boss, all right, not a problem, boss. And then the first thing, the next thing you say, yeah, and you fuck off, you cunt. <laughs> and, uh, I, I must just say, the C word is not greeted as well in Canada as in the UK. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. But Which I learned 20 years ago. But, you know, that's... You know, that's... That's, that's, what, he, that's what he used to say to you. No, you're being that, factually that correct. That's true, the zone is a four-letter word, very good. So, how come you could understand Sir Alex Ferguson, but not George Graham? Because as I got older, I got used to it. <laughs> you learned as you went. Right, Chew, let's get it going. Who else? Don't, please don't be shy with the question. Any, question, any, any question, question counts. Put your hands up. Let's get going. There we go. One right up on the balcony there. And I've got something being passed to me here. Thank you. Off you go, Chuma man. What we got? Um, Andrew, just a question. I know a lot's been spoken about, um, but could you maybe just briefly sum up what the um, issue might have been? I mean, what your relationship with Teddy has always been, you know, talked about and that you guys perhaps didn't get along. Um, was there any particular reason that maybe you can expand on, or was it just two guys? Yeah, I've, just... I've, I've expanded on this many times. I, I remember when I was um, I was a young kid, and I was going to make my England debut. I, 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 when I watched England play, yeah, and any young player making their debut for England, you know, I always remember 
whoever was coming off for that individual would make the biggest beeline for that individual coming off or whatever, because they know it's their debut. They know playing for England was, you were under pressure constantly. And I was as nervous as hell. Wembley Stadium, I don't know, 70,000 people. I'm standing on the line, I was saying to myself, oh my God, I'm gonna make my England debut. And you get a bit twitchy naturally. Teddy was an unfortunate player who got taken off and he didn't take to it very kindly. And him not taking to it very kindly, he basically walked past me on the line and just slubbed me. I put my hand out to shake his hand and he bowled past me as if to say, I've got no time for that. In that time, I'm saying to myself, I'm a young kid and I'm, I'm on the line, gonna make my England debut, there's 70,000 people watching it. And the first thought that crossed my mind was, how many people have actually saw that? Not about I'm going on the game to make my England debut. And I'll be honest, even to this day, I didn't want to go on the football pitch. You know, because it made, it made me feel so small that a senior professional could do that to a young pro making his senior debut. You know, and I, I look back on that and I always said to myself, I always want to be a good pro. I want to be a good pro to the kids. I always want a good pro to the younger generation that they can actually come up to me at any stage and say to me, oh, Coley, can you help me with this or can you help me with that? And from that day on, I just said to myself, you're not my cup of tea because you embarrassed me in my England debut. I just thought it was disgusting that another professional could do that to a young pro. I just thought that was poor manners because, like I said, I'd never do that to anybody. So from me personally, from that day, I said, you're not my cup of tea. So you never really forgave and you never really forgot, but you never... It was never to the detriment of Manchester United, which we were to find out in terms of where we were up to in the story. I find that remarkable. I, you must be a bigger man than I, because I think I probably would have cracked, said something, had a slapping contest, had one too many drinks and had it out with him. How, how were you able to operate when you had such a moment in your career that, let's be honest, he kind of ruined for you? He did. But I, I mean, I remember when he, when he signed for Manchester United, all the boys were like laughing. And they said, Coley, oh my God, you've got a few problems now. And I, I mean, I was having a chuckle up with them as well. But when I actually broke it down to them and explained, they always said to me, well, I understand where you're coming from now because to do something like that is a lack of respect. But we always said, and I always said, you know, when we cross the white line, it's not about me and you, it's about the team. Whatever I have against you, you have against me. Let's get on with it, you know. Off the football pitch, we never talk. We're not going to go out for a drink or anything like that. But... We play for Manchester United, and it's all about the team. So, like I said, we will put that aside. Every game we play together, we come off the football pitch, let's get back to normal. And boy, did you put it aside. Um, going to get on to the 98-99 season in just a second. The end of the yeah. season before, you were runner-up in the Players' Player of the Year. But, yeah, you were. Does it? That's ruined my question. Now, I was going to ask you, does it hurt less when you're a runner-up to one of that small group of players in my life that, like, I don't care who you support. If you got to watch this guy, I'll tell my grandchildren that I saw Dennis Bergkamp play football. Doesn't matter what jersey he wore. Just, is he on that small list of players that for you, even though you're in an opposite corner, you could appreciate the oh, genius of this Dennis, guy? Dennis, definitely. Uh, play, he came from Inter Milan and went into Arsenal. And then, I think, the big thing for Bergkamp is once they got rid of Bruce Ray out there, he really flourished. Yeah. He was a phenomenal footballer, he had his technical, he was fantastic. You know, so to, to watch him, 
to play for Arsenal under Wenger and what he could do with the football, was, he, he was phenomenal because the Dutch players always had a player like that. Always had a number 10 who could play that way. And like I said, I'd, I'd even know I come, I come second, so that, that sums me up. Which you know, by quite a way to <laughs> Bergkamp that year. That sums me up. If I come second to a player like Dennis Bergkamp, I got accepted because he was a fantastic player. And, and we have a bit of fun, obviously, we're a Liverpool fan hosting this, but at the end of the day, we're all football fans. But actually, in, in that era, it was defined by that relationship with Arsenal. Was that the biggest game in the calendar? Was that the one you by circled far. first? By far. We uh, were that bad. You know, no, that, I, yeah. I, I wouldn't say, you know, you were that bad. You were terrible. I mean, but... <laughs> No. We, we, we knew then our rivalry was with Arsenal because our Arsenal were very strong and they, they played good football like we did but we always knew the Liverpool game was a massive game and I, I, I love playing in that game because it was such a big game the rivalry you know in, in those days as well there's a lot of local boys in the game the Manchester boys and obviously the boys from Liverpool so it, it was still a massive game It's funny how many times in the era when Liverpool were winning everything United would beat Liverpool in the one-off games and in the era when United were in, winning everything we would have those moments where we'd win like 4-1 at Old Trafford and we were like I was like this team is shit you know and it just came out of nowhere and it, it, it's, that's why I love that particular match in particular United-Liverpool because you I, I don't know about you but I hate hate them as much as I love them I hate the night before I hate the build up the games there's nothing worse than losing to them and uh, I think they've always had that they've been unpredictable enough listen we're, we're going to talk about the treble winning season I just want to say uh, a quick uh, hello to some people who have in the room from La Liga for example that run the La Liga stuff and, and so many other uh, leagues that we have on on the zone in this coming season whether it be France Italy Spain the J League, the MLS, and I'm, I'm hoping to add sooner rather than later a particular other league closer to home to that, fingers crossed. But obviously, Adler, in the, uh, we, we have the championship at the moment, which I do a lot of work on back home. It's the greatest football pyramid in the world. I'm glad we can bring you those games as well. Also have the, the Champions League. Um, you know, the Canadian Premier League starts up in spring 2019. Um, Oh my God, to see the change. I played in a league when I was here. I'm terrible at football. In 1995, I was literally the third best player in Canada. It was basically something to do. Yeah, to Canadian keep... football coming that bad. Mate, it was. But do you know what it was? It was something for kids to keep fit when they couldn't put their skates on. To see it change so much over the years. We were having lunch today with Greg Brady that does the Fan 590. His kids playing like soccer more than he's playing baseball, more than he's playing ice hockey. I can't wait to see where soccer is in Canada in 20 years from now. Because if it grows like it did when I was first here, at an international level, at a domestic level, it's going to be off the chart. I'm excited about that. we got their commissioner here tonight, their president, their CEO. Best of luck with, with uh, spring 2019. Phenomenal stuff. Well done. And just before we go back to talking to Andy, and I definitely need to, these guys, we've got to wake them up. Do they need more Jaeger? We've got to get more questions. I've just got a little uh, bonus for you. So before we start bringing you the Champions League, just find this out the other day, we've got a little warm-up for you. We're going to have all these games live for you as well. Listen to the bass and check the verse. I got rhymes in abundance, style over substance. If it's what you like, take the mic from a phone prince. Pop it up, some mark the cup. Enough stuff to make a mountain top. Rough, see, I'm about to rock this. Open them up, 
like blacksmiths, got to make believers of agnostics. I drop on them a line that's not common. You'll see in the green that I'm the top prominent. Flip your wig, you know what I mean. I want to know what you're going to do. It's high noon. It's high noon. So we'll have the International Champions Cup for you. All right, okay, we know what happens. You see the name of your team playing, you turn up, and you do not recognize a single player in some of the games. Let's be honest, let's tell it like it is. But that, for diehard football fans, we're going to stream every one of those games live that you can watch. The good news is it's actually at a time you're not at work. Like, I admire you guys so much because I, I assume that you're going to phone in sick for big Champions League games and join us live in the afternoon. I assume you're going to watch under your desks. I assume you're going to lie, cheat, and steal as much as you can to watch the Champions League live in, in the afternoon. Right, let's get on to the defining season at your time at Manchester United. And I want to start with love at first sight, you and Dwight York. It, it, it was an interesting one, to, to say the least. Um, I, I touched on it earlier. You know, possibility of Patrick Clyver didn't decide to go to Barcelona. You know, um, that partnership might never have happened, but it did in the end. I, I remember when Dwight first came into Manchester United, we, we spoke at length, you know, because he used to pop round to mine. I introduced him to the area, where to buy a house, and all those kind of things. So for me, there was no resentment. I wasn't thinking, oh... He's here to take my place. I was saying to myself, if I can help you in any way, I'll do just that. The game's come thick and fast. Yorkie played out front with um, Ollie, Teddy, Scolzi, and Giggsy. And then we went down to the old Dell, and the gaffer decided to give me a game. So I just said to myself, look, I'm going to go and enjoy it. And playing out front with Dwight, okay, not a problem. And then really, and I've said it many, many times, the manager stumbled on his partnership because I don't know what happened that day. We absolutely battered Southampton 3-0. But the movement, the interplay between me and Dwight was instant. Can you put your finger on it? I know you never fought. I know that if you ever had any differences, you had a brilliant way of sorting it out where you kind of let you just said it and the other person went, OK, and you moved on. That's phenomenal. I wish my relationships in my life had went <laughs> roughly that way as well. But... I mean, is it just luck? Is it just two people meet and they have a chemistry? Because you've described it like the, personal, the, per, the perfect marriage. You said even though it was football, this was the perfect marriage. It, 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 the, 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 the craziest thing is, you know, we, we're totally opposites. You know, like I said, I'm an introvert. He's good looking. Yeah, I'm, I'm an yeah. introvert. And, you know I mean, the, the, the white's totally opposite. But it, it was... I don't know how many times it's going to happen in life that... You have a partner, she's a perfect person for you, or whatever it may be. Dwight was my perfect footballing partner. You know, we never had a crossword, even to this day. Wow. We've never, ever had a crossword, you know. We would play, if he'd done, done something that pissed me off, I'd look at him, wouldn't say a word, and that would be it. You know, we do exactly the same thing. We'd never stand there coating each other off, nothing. Are you still, like, good friends now? Or still you good just... friend. We're even better friends now than when we was playing football, because... When, we are, because when you play football, you're always you're worried about your place in the team, you want to get in the team, or whatever maybe. Our relationship as friends has become even stronger now than when it was when we were playing. I don't know how, but we are still very, very good friends. But the way we play football, for us, was just enjoyment. Um, so, I mean, how do we do this whole season? I think we're going to concentrate most of all on, on, on that night. 
at the new camp. But you scored the winning goal, didn't you, to win the, the title that year? I did. So, I did, like, yeah. that's an amazing, you know, yeah. before we even get to, to that, is it possible to sum up the three or four seconds? after you score that goal when you know it's one point ahead of Arsenal you know you've just won the league for Manchester United going back to when you were a boy and George Green was saying you're not making it Jimmy Hill was saying that you're not good enough to be a football you're at Bristol City does the world go in slow motion is it too big to take in at the time I was I was nervous I've got to be honest I come at half time for Teddy and I remember the way the manager made a decision we walked in at half time he said Mikoli uh get your kit off, you're going on. Teddy, you're coming off. <laughs> and that was it. And he just, he just goes to me, uh, uh, go and get me the winner. <laughs> All right, then. <laughs> as, yeah, as, as simple as that. And he goes, that was it. So I'll come on. I think Gary Neville gets the ball, right back. He, I go short, I make a little run in behind Seoul. This has been the best pass of Gary Neville's career to me. <laughs> I'm being very, very honest, yeah? And I've told him, that's the best ball you've ever gave me, yeah? He's clipped over Soul's head. I've taken one touch. By the time the ball's just taken a half bounce, I've lobbed Ian Walker, and then the rest is a blur, because I did say, I did say to Yap as well, because Yap was on the bench, because he was struggling with his Achilles. I did say to him, Yap, if I come in at halftime, I score the winner, I'm gonna run over to you, celebrate on the bench. So he goes to me, right, we're on. If you ever look at the footage, I never ever make it to the bench because someone grabs me by the neck, nearly strangled me, and you know, he's, it, it was one of those days. And I, I look back now and I said, for me personally, that's a sort of disappointment out of 95 to know that I've been fortunate enough to have that opportunity again and get the winner, you know, because that's not just for me, that's for Manchester United, I mean, that's for my teammates and whatever, but for me, that's. That's put my mind to bed. It really is. So it would have only been a matter of days or a, a week or two before that, the semi-final of the Champions League. So even though we've just talked about scoring the winning goal to capture a Premier League title, how does that compare then to United's third um, against Juve, against Juventus? Yeah, yeah, the, the third against Juve, and the, the lads they always said to me, Coley, do you know how close it was to the post? I said, it didn't bother me because the game was already over. It was, but the lads kept saying to me, no, no, Coley, do you know? So I said, no, I saw it, man, don't worry about it. We won, we're 2-2, two -two. we're going through anyway, and I was fortunate to get the third goal. And I always laugh about it because the game was over. Don't worry about me getting, being fortunate enough to get the third goal. The game is over, and everyone talks about how close it was to the, to the post, but hey. But... United's performance from the depths phenomenal. of going out was it we talk about a remarkable we'll talk about the Bayern game like we'll get into how tough it was for United in, in that game the phenomenal team performance was that semi-final that's the best game I've ever played in I've ever ever played in you know I, I just saw you know Roy was he was immense to know that he's not going to play in the European Cup final he was he was an absolute freak. You know, I, he is, and I've said, he's a leader of men, and he proved that night he was a leader of men because he knew, I'm not going to play in the European Cup final, but I'll tell you what, these lads will be playing in this European Cup final. Scozy was phenomenal because he knew he's not going to play in it either. And I remember walking off that pitch at full time, and the Juventus players looked at us 
as if to say, these guys are on drugs, by the way. There's no way they can play like that. And the tournament there, what you're just previewing, I had to do the launch for that for Manchester United and I met Del Piero. And to this day, he cannot believe we won that game. To this day, he said to me, I still can't believe you won. You know, it's funny you talk about what Roy Keane did in that game when he knew he wouldn't play in the final. Everyone remembers 1990 and England in the semi-final against Germany lost in penalties and Gaza's tears. And I always looked at that with real sympathy and, un, until it was actually Perry Gross, who you mentioned earlier on a radio show, pointed out. He said, well, I felt that was selfish. And I was like, what? And he said, well, Paul Gascoigne didn't take a penalty in that penalty shootout. Paul Gascoigne cried during the game. What about everybody else in that team? And it really stuck with me because I'd never heard anyone say that. I, I suppose what Roy Keane did that night against Juventus backs up his point. He said, well, it's not about me. So that is probably not only the best game he ever played in, but maybe the most important game that he oh, played in. I know it, he, he, had, he had many, many colossal games for Manchester United, but that game, I, I don't know what it was about him. He was possessed. Yeah. And I mean, he was possessed. I, he, I, I remember, obviously, players like Davies and Zidane and all that. That day, he was the best player on the pitch by far. Yeah. And if it was Davies, Davies would get smashed or whatever. He didn't care because he drove us on to get us to the European Cup final. He was, he was unbelievable. And he got the first goal, the header. And I remember he didn't even celebrate. He got the header and he ran straight back to the halfway line. as if to say, come on, lads. We need to take centre and move on. Good. Well, listen, let's say if, if we can, so much to talk about, about that. But it doesn't matter if we go elsewhere. But if it's on that, even better. Well, well, By the way, all, best beard in the room, sir. Best beard in the room. I literally want to, I want to sit on your knee and stroke your beard rather than interview Andy Cole. It is beautiful, sir. It grows. I did fuck all. Um, <laughs> I wanted to congratulate you on the job, Andy. Uh, bagging five goals apparently gets you a, a punditry job, whereas in Canada, letting in five goals from Andy Cole gets you on telly. Hey! A decade beforehand. Uh, my question is, have you reached out to Craig Forrest about uh, him buying you dinner since you basically own him now? You say that I, I, I see Craig in uh, Barbados, I know, possibly five or so years ago. And some guy just came up to me because I, I didn't recognize him. And he tapped me on the shoulder and goes to me, um, you destroyed my career, so, um, <laughs> so, so I, I looked at him because like I said I, I, I didn't recognize him. I looked at him and he was to say, who are you, by the way? And he goes to me, I remember me, Craig Forrester. <laughs> I said, oh, oh sorry, I, I, I didn't mean to, it's just a joke. Did you, you know? buy him a drink? No, we had a laugh about it. <laughs> we had a laugh about it. But he's, he, he's a very nice guy. I've got to admit, he's a very nice guy. And I, I was just doing my job, like I said, and fortunate for Manchester United that day, Ipswich wasn't very good, and we scored nine goals, and it was one of those days. Okay, cool. So you are clearly one of the most humble people one is ever going to come across, especially someone who's a footballing star. So my question to you is, how hard is it for you to maintain that humility given the stardom that you have as a Manchester United player and almost 20 years on, you're able to fill a room in Canada where we call it soccer. How, like, how do, you, how do you deal with that and, and is it difficult for you? Not at all, not difficult at all. He's um, come from my parents. You know, my, my, my parents came, from, uh, came to England, what, in the 60s from the Caribbean. 
Was no. your dad a, a miner? My dad was a miner. He was a miner? Yeah, my, my dad was yeah. a miner, so in, in, in those days, to be a miner, I mean, you had, to, you had to do very well to get a job first and foremost, never mind to be a miner. So for me personally, to, to be humble, it's part and parcel of it. You know, it's, my roots are what they are. You know, they, they struggled to get me to the position for me, for me to play football. You know, so I, I look back and what they've been through is nothing that I've been through. Because for them to leave the Caribbean and come to England in those days, I, I could only dream about what they went through. So for me to be humble, part and parcel of it. You, you talk about the heights. Yeah, we're coming out next. You talk about the heights of, you know, what you get, what is afforded to you at the top level of football. Did United travel to that European Cup final on Concord? We did, yeah, we did. Right? We did, yeah. That's unbelievable. I only, I didn't know that until, like, yesterday, just yeah, reading yeah. three notes on, on yeah. that final. And I, I can't believe, it just sounds so on Sir Alex Ferguson. Yeah, it, it does, but I, I think... I'm not sure if it's the gaffer's first time on, on Concord as well, but it, it was definitely my first time, and I, I loved it. You know, I think all the boys loved it, because it was something different. You know, majority of the boys had never been on it, so I think the occasion, the European Cup final, Manchester United not been there for many, many years. For us to go Concord, it's like, wow, this is something special. Amazing. No Kane, no Skulls. Random nerdy fact. I think it'd probably be the first and only time that both captains were goalkeepers. So Schmeichel had got the armband, and I think it was the last time he played for you, right? So what a way to go out, right? What a way to go out. But it's, it's funny, people do talk about the comeback, and we look at two particular comebacks, 2005 and this, as both phenomenal, right? People forget how bad it was before the comeback. And, I mean, that first half was tough. It was very tough from a striker's point of view as well, not having Skulls, not having Keane, with that Bayern defence. I'm sure most United fans watching, most people watching were thinking, we, we could play against this team for four or five hours and we are not going to score against them. That's what made it so phenomenal when it happened. What did you think at halftime? What did you think on, I think it was 81 minutes when you, were, when you came off? Well, I think at halftime, it, it was a typical uh, Manchester United versus Bayern Munich game because we played them numerous times in the group stages. Yeah. And the games were always like 1-1, one, 1-0 one, one, or something like that. So we always knew it was going to be a tough game. We gave up, it was a noble goal because the free kick wasn't the best struck free kick and the wall wasn't the best and we gave up a poor goal. But... We had that season whereby we got a lot of late goals, a hell of a lot of late goals. And it didn't matter how well we played, the mentality in the team was to play well. Well, not to play well, but never give up. And it was one of those days because it was the two scruffiest goals in Champions League history, as I say. You know, the game wasn't the best game in the world, considering the way we played in the semi-finals and games before that as well. But it was just meant to be. It was history. It was written in the stars that... Manchester United was going to win the European Cup. It was Sir Matt's birthday and all those crazy things. It, it, it was just meant to be. And you, you know, it's funny, isn't it? We talk about those small moments in football. We talked about the Arsenal game. We talked about loads of things. Possible swap with Shearer, all that. I, I just love that personal side to it. As you, unlike what happened with Teddy, when you hugged Solskjaer, 12 minutes later, he was going to be remembered forever. 12 minutes later. I, I love stuff like that. Talk me through you where you were sitting watching that? Where I was sitting when, what, when Ollie got the winner? Yeah. Oh, bloody hell. I was on the pitch. 
I was on the pitch. Um, me, me and Ollie had a fantastic relationship, you know. We, we always used to talk about being a centre-forward, out of player centre-forward, or chances or whatever. And I remember when Oli got the goal and you know, he went down to the corner flag. I would like to believe I was on the first waiting for Oli at the corner flag. <laughs> it, it, was, oh, it, was, it was unbelievable to know that he'd come on, he'd, he'd got the winner. I wasn't sitting there or running to the corner flag thinking, oh, I wish it was me, sod that. Sod all that. I mean, this is a team game. It's been a team game all season. And for those boys to get the, the goals in the final, that was Manchester United that season. And, of course, you got up a lot quicker than Solskjaer did because, a little, well, you guys probably know this as really obvious, but uh, amongst other football, that little-known fact that as he did his famous knee slide, he ripped the medial ligament in his knee and didn't play for, like, three and a half start, months. Yeah. Right? That was the start of his knee problems. Uh, it's unbelievable. Yeah, the, the greatest moment was the start of all his, all his problems in his career. Two great quotes. I, I have to say it, two great quotes. Sir Alex Ferguson, football, bloody hell. That was how he responded to what happened, which is philosophy for me. It's just brilliant. It sums up the difference between soccer and games that are only set pieces, like American football, etc. You still never quite know, no matter how much money comes in the game. And there's a brilliant thing I found. Leonard Johansson was the UEFA president, and the trophy had already been decorated for Bayern Munich to lift it. So he had to leave his posh seat and go down probably in a posh lift and walk through the tunnel, and that took three minutes. And he walked out, because he had to be there at the full-time whistle, and he said, why are the winners crying and the losers dancing? Because he, he, he missed both the goals. I, I remember that, because I remember uh, Mateus came off, and I remember he, he walked past the, the cup and was, like, shining it down and whatever. And I remember, like, it was yesterday, because we were saying that, Football, the game's never over till it's over. And when he done that and then we won, oh. I had a quick little look at him. Yes. As if to say, you're a great player, but you never do things like that. You know, I love that, the motivation, because in interviewing Liverpool players and United players, that moment comes up, players from that year, that they saw that, and you, you talk to Liverpool players from Istanbul, Perlo touched the cup as well, like it was his at half time. And it's amazing that it, it, maybe it's a an English mentality as well, or, or a Premier League mentality, whatever. It's like, I'll show you. It's amazing. It's not over till it's over. No. And like I said, that season, because we got a hell of a lot of late goals. I remember we played Cholton, and Yorkie got a late header. This must have been about the 94th minute, something stupid like that. You know, the FA Cup, Giggsy gets a late goal against Arsenal. You know, so yeah. we always went to the end, and we were fortunate enough to get a goal. So when we did it, was more than happy for sure. Right, listen, any question goes, let's do it. We're already way over. We're probably getting charged for this. It's fine. First of all, my only regret about the 99 Champions League final is that Bestie never saw the last few minutes he left before the end. But I'm pleased he was alive long enough to see Northern Ireland beat England at Windsor Park. What, you mean David Healy's winner from the Stephen exactly. Davis Pass? Ex-United man as well, wasn't he? Oh, yes. Do we have any other green and white army in the room or just me? Exactly. Just no. me. Yeah. Do you know, there were England fans that day, uh, I was doing a BBC Radio 1 show from the city centre, which didn't need to happen. I just needed to be at the game and they let me do it. And an England fan, we talked to him on air and on air he said, he opened up, this is like three in the afternoon, he opened up his pocket and he said, these are my cigars for after the game when we beat you 6-0. 
Fast forward to one in the morning, and I'm standing outside. We, we call them a, an off-license back in, in the UK. So we just got, we're sitting with crates of beer. We're all absolutely stocious, one in the morning drinking. We beat England 1-0, and I felt a tap in my shoulder, and I turned around, and the same England fan put the cigar in my mouth and lit it. I was like, what a touch. What a touch that was. One of my favourite, favourite moments. But, of course, the press don't report good moments for fans, which is 99%. Anyway, right. But my question is, 98-99 treble season, when was the moment that the dream became a reality? Yeah. For me, it was when Schmeichel saved that penalty against Burkamp in the semi-final of the FA Cup. What was it for you? What was it for us? Uh, when did you think, we're going to do this, we can do this? Uh, you, you know what the, the, the craziest thing is? We weren't allowed to talk about it. As players, we weren't allowed to talk about it because if we ever mention our oh, treble or... No. You get shot down straight away, bang. We don't talk about it. It was the best 10 days of our footballing career and we took it by 10 days. 10, 9, 8, and we counted down the games, you know. It's as simple as that. And I think that's why we've done it because we never, ever sat there and said, well, we're going to do this... Because we just won't allow, because everyone was so focused on the 10 days leading down to the last 10 games, I mean, the last three games of the season. So we never, ever spoke about it, which was brilliant. I think, and I might be, listen, I'm sorry if I'm misquoting somebody here, but I think it was Steve McLaren that told me after that. And, you know, there's, there's, a play, there's someone to mention, by the way, as a coach and the job that he did at Manchester United. And I think he said that Fergie literally made them all put their medals in the drawer and said, what next? Like, there was no celebration of it. It was literally, right, what are we going to win next? And, and it seemed that every player bought into that, no matter who it was, Cantona, Keane, Giggs, you, it didn't matter how different the personality was, that was his greatest thing. He gets painted sometimes as fire and brimstone. He was fire and brimstone, it was all old-fashioned. I, I think that's very far from the yeah, truth. He, 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 that's what, he, he was brilliant because I, I remember when we won the European Cup, I mean, we've gone back to England, we've celebrated, you know, we, I mean, we turn out, there's 250,000 fans waiting for us, we do all that, and then the first day of pre-season, he pulls everyone and said, it's, it's over, forget about it. You know, next season, what are we going to win this season? And he went around the dressing room like he did every season. He goes, who really wants it? Because if you don't, there's the door. And we're thinking, well, I'm not thinking because I've been there. And I think this way, I mean, I love him to death. This way, Dwight struggled because Dwight was on the crest of a wave thinking, oh, my God, we're going to do this every year. And I mean, lifestyle and that. And you, Dwight really struggled. Because he was thinking, what we did in 99, we could do again in 2000. And he, he wasn't as focused, and the manager would never accept things like that. And you did. It certainly, you, you certainly heard what he said, because you were top, top scorer that season again. 99-2000, four Premier League titles in, in five years for you. So you certainly listened to what Sir Alex Ferguson had to say that day. Where's the mic to what we got? Let's get as many in as we... Yeah, that's better now. Everyone's had a drink. The hands are going up. Let's do it. All right, Andy. Um, I have two, two questions. So when, when I was 10, for my birthday, I got this beautiful picture of hand, pencil drawn Man United players. You was on it. Beckham, Giggs, Solskjaer and Dwight. Everyone signed it apart from Dwight. I need a favour. Can you call him and like? That is amazing. I need. I need to complete it. That is. Uh, that is amazing, and I think I, you I, need I to sort this. I left the film to come to Canada. 
Yeah. Amazing. We could beat. We can could bring just, Dwight can out just here. Call him on stage. No. Yeah. To be fair, he's a nomad. He'll travel anywhere. So he'll be out here soon, no doubt. Wow. All right. All right. That's the only Seriously. signature you're missing. Only one. When did you get his? Okay, so my stepdad at the time was an electrician, and he was working at Old Trafford. So what he did, <laughs> he took the he took the drawer into Old Trafford and put it on the charity pile. You all signed it, and then at the end of the day, he took it back off and brought it That's home. amazing. <laughs> Just Dwight. I love that. Right, next. Let's assault so many hands up, so we're going to go around them all now. This was meant to be 45 minutes. I'm pretty sure we're about an hour and a half, aren't we, at the moment? Let's keep going. Um, sorry to skip a decade, um, but my just after my 16th birthday, you signed for my boyhood club, Nottingham Forest. Yeah. Um, keen to understand you were born in Nottingham, how you kind of, you know, made the decision to come back to Forest, how it happened, and why the final year was stolen away from me when you left, you know, in late October that year as well. Jesus. This is, this is, you know, we started talking about that relationship, Arsenal, George Graham, and, and I, I suppose we come back to... Nottingham Forest absolutely killed me off. I, I, I remember when, when I joined, I thought, right, this, this is it for me. Um, you know, I went to enjoy the last year. And, you know, when I was there, I was there as a kid, like um, under 12s and things like that. And I, I always said, like, for my granddad passed, he said he would always love me to play for Nottingham Forest, whatever. So I said, I and I'll give it a go. I went in there and I said to myself, this place is rotten from top to bottom. I did three months and that was it. They finished me off because the, the mentality there was, you know, and that's where football started to change because the mentality of the younger generation wasn't about the love of the game. It was about the money, the fame and things like that. When I started football, forget that. It was about the love of the game and entertainment. But just the way the football club was run as well, he, it wasn't run as a football club, considering the one the European Cup twice for a little small club. The way Brian Craft had them playing football and all those kind of things. Nottingham Forest, it, it, it wasn't even a football club. It, it was horrible. It was a noble place to be in. Being around a younger generation, I just said to myself, I, I had to retire because Colin Calderwood, he was the manager. But the owner was running the football club and was picking the team. So Colin would say, right, this is the team for tomorrow. And you get this Saturday morning, and the team has changed. So I just decided that it wasn't for me, and it just finished me off. So that, that was the reason why. Sort of something that won't depress you as much as what you've just heard. Um, as a Forest fan, is it true that Brian Clough used to describe you as the one that got away? I love that. That's, that's a, that is one of football's ultimate compliments that you were the one that got away from him. Yeah, I, I met him a few times when, when I was a kid at Arsenal. And I remember at Arsenal, you had to do, um, those days you had to do duties, you had to clean the dressing room, boots, and all those kind of things. So I went in, started cleaning up, and then uh, I think it was Ronnie Fenton tapped him on his shoulder and said, uh, that, That's Sandy Cole. So I remember he pulled me and goes, Oh, you're the one who got away. And, I wish you all the best, but I wish you was at this football club, but unfortunately it's not to be. And I remember having a little conversation with him because I think Brian Clough's a manager who should have managed England. But unfortunately, he was very opinionated, very good. And being opinionated in England, as you know, it's a problem. And if you're a manager, it's a bigger problem. But he was a phenomenal manager, and I, I love spending time in his company. Brilliant. Two, let's go again. Brilliant. Uh, first off, Andy, uh, Andrew, sorry. 
you, you were my brother's favorite player, so really appreciate what you did for us growing up. Um, and Andy Co uh, Dwight York was mine. But my real question is, I don't know if people really know, you're a talented football player, but you're also an artist. So, a musician, actually. So I was wondering if you would give us Outstanding, a little rendition of, of your song. Oh my God. Outstanding. <laughs> That's hey, like I, the perfect question. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember doing that. It was, uh, we had a bit of fun. You know, I, I, think, I think we, we was on a bit of a crest of a wave at Manchester United and things were going all right. So I was asked, how cold did you fancy doing this? So I'm saying, so, well, football's going all right at the moment, so why not try my finger at something else? I got absolutely battered by the boys, yep. know, which we should expected, but it, it was all good fun and I, I thoroughly enjoyed it because, you know, I, I think because football's so intense and you never ever get the opportunity to let your guard down and do something else, but to do that was, I, I really enjoyed it and I mean, for the week I did it, I enjoyed it and then the months after that and the years, I've not enjoyed it. <laughs> In defence of the players who battered you for it, they had heard it. Uh, we got another question. Brilliant. Here we go. Andrew, you, uh, you play with a lot of different managers throughout your career, and there's so much spoken about Fergie and what he did and the couple books he's released. We know a lot about him. But aside from your time with Sir Alex, was there another manager who you think got the best out of your game and who you look back fondly in your career as that was someone who was able to just understand my game and who I was, and you played some of your best football there. And if so, who was that manager? Uh, there, wasn't, there wasn't another manager. Because I, I think what, what management is now, and I, I've only realized now, you, to be a manager and to be a good manager, you have to understand each individual for what they are. And why the older generation managers come out of the game because they could only manage in one way, and that was aggression, like I said before. When I first became an apprentice at a football club, as a manager, as a coach, you could say whatever you wanted to say to any individual, you have to accept it. You have to get on with it. Now, because players have so much power, they don't have to do it. Where Sir Alex Ferguson was good, when the big influence of foreign players came into the game, you had to manage players, you had to manage individuals. The British boys, the Scandinavian boys, we got on with it because that was expected. The foreign boys, no. They'll say, no, 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 I leave. I go tomorrow. So you have to manage that. And that's why he was absolutely brilliant, because he got the best out of every single player he had. English, Italian, Brazilian, Scandinavian. He was phenomenal. He was unbelievable. He, he was forward-thinking in that way as well. He was ahead of his time. So also used to have interviewed players, especially from the era of the 80s and the first, so up until the Premier League era. And they were like world-class players. They went on to be world-class players. They didn't talk in the dressing room for the first six, seven years of their career. The gifted players that come through now, their parents have got houses when they're 10 years old. They're being promised the world. That kid's walking into the dressing room at 17, Andy, going, I'll talk to whoever I want in here. I'm the bomb. I'm the guy they have to keep. I'm the guy they have to stop signing, going from, say, Liverpool to Real Madrid or Manchester United or Manchester City. That's a massive well, culture change. Yeah, that's, that's how much it's changed. Because, like I said, for me being an apprentice, we wasn't allowed to speak to the first team players unless they spoke to you. You know, it's like, now, if I go into Manchester United now, everyone calls me by my surname. All right, you all right, Coley? Yeah, you all right, mate, or whatever. When I was an apprentice, I couldn't say, oh, you're right, uh, Tomo, or whatever. It was like, Michael, or Sir, or whatever, or Mr. I mean, like, Coley, you okay, mate? Mate. <laughs> mate. I mean, when I was at Sunderland with Roy, and Roy was the manager. 
It was one of the funniest experiences I've ever had. One of the players said to him, you all right, mate? Roy stopped him and said to me, I'm not your effing mate, I'm your man. And that's the way it was. So the way the game's changed now, you know, you can do certain things whereby many, many years ago, you couldn't do it. He had a, he had a good tutelage, didn't he? If you think about it, Kane, he had Clough and he had Fergie. There's a great story about a young Roy Keane walking in the dressing room at half-time. He'd misplaced a pass. And he walked through the door and Brian Clough punched him and knocked him out to the ground straight away. Just, just went bang and then turned around to the rest of the team and said, so, so Keane gets up and goes for him. They get separated and he goes, if you had the passion of that guy, we wouldn't be losing this game. <laughs> and he just punched him in the face. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I've got a question about one of my Brilliant. favorite goals at United was yours versus Barcelona, the combination with York. Uh, I know we were talking about your, you guys are the perfect match. Like, what goes through your mind on that goal? Like, you guys did the dummy, and you guys just knew what was going to happen. Like, is that something you guys practiced before? Or? No, everything was, uh, we, me and Dwight, was very instinctive. And that's why I said, that's why I, I, I don't know where it came from, because it just worked. You know, it was... What we saw, we played. You know, there wasn't too much communication, talking or anything. We never spoke on the football pitch. And I mean, we never spoke. You know, everything we did, we, we, what we saw and whatever. When people say, did you work on it in training? No, we didn't because we always played on opposite teams. Because they play uh, foreigners against his England. And that's what training was. You know, foreigners against England or just general training. So there was never like shape or anything like that. The manager was never a big lover on shape. It, it was all small-sided games. So it was all, everything was off the cuff. It was all instinct. It was all feel and what we saw, what we played. And that's why people don't understand, for me personally, why it worked just like that. I, I don't know. It, it was just meant to be. It was definitely meant to be. Dwight, what's he doing right now? He is in, what's the date today? 16th. Man, I don't even know what month it is. He will, be, he will be in Dubai because he, he's just moving to Dubai. He was in South Africa for the World Cup. He's just moving to Dubai. There you go. So that's where you're going to have to go for your autograph. Right. Hello, sir. Yes. Hi, Andy. Thank you. Uh, who would be the toughest defender you played against in the Premier League? The toughest? Um, when you're at the highest level, especially in the Premier League, the world's tough. I remember when I played against Arsenal, the old back four. And in those, in those days as well, as centre-halves or right-backs, she was allowed to get away with anything. So when we used to play at Highbury, Tony Adams had this great attribute of letting the ball run down the line as a centre-forward, you chase it, and then we'll put you in the first part of the crowd. So playing against those guys, I, I, I loved that. And Tony used to do that for one thing, to say, right, do you fancy it? Because if you don't fancy it, I've already won. And if you come back with that, he knew he was in a battle. So Tony Adams, Steve Bold, Martin Keown. Uh, Sol Campbell all, all those kind of players were very very tough very tough excellent brilliant here we go, here we go. Uh, first of all Andy thank you for absolutely everything you did for United uh, I'm just curious um, between Ellen Road Anfield and Main Road which is the most hostile atmosphere you played in and is there a certain memory from one of those stadiums I'm glad you put Ellen Road in that list by the way Ellen Road Ellen Road. I remember the first time I went to Ellen Road with Manchester United. Oh, my God. I walked off the coach because the lad says, Mikoli, it's, it's electric. So I said, I, I walked off the coach and I said to myself, oh, my God, what is this? The hatred, 
in the faces of the punters was it was sickening. Uh, and we walked off, and I remember Ned Kelly was our security guy then. I'd never seen so many people stand and spit at you. It, it, it was vile, so Ned had to get his coat up and all that. And I walked down and said, what is this? But in, in a sick way, when I walked onto the pitch, you know, to warm up and that, you could hear all the hatred, intensity, and I, I loved it. I loved every single minute of it because we never lost there. We always won or we draw whatever. And just to go out there and silence them and, oh, my God. I would do it all over again. I would do because it was phenomenal. So yeah. it was definitely Ellen Road, definitely. You've always strived in that, have you? Someone saying you can't yeah, do it, yeah, someone yeah. screaming definitely. in your face. That was the worst thing definitely. that you could do to Andy Cole. It's a shame we only know that now. Right, where are we? Yes. Uh, Andy, uh, I'm, uh, I'm actually from Atlanta in the United States, and this question is actually coming to you all the way from Atlanta. Uh, lads down there want to know, looking at the current crop of uh, the young players who play for United, uh, especially Rashford, Martial, Lingard, like young lads who are coming up and uh, deserve more of a chance, more playing time. Who do you think, according to you, uh, is one of the brightest prospects uh, going forward in the future for United? I, I, I think the, the real bright prospects, but it's all about game time. Everything is about game time. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. I, 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 I think Martial is a fantastic player. I really do. I think he's a super player. For some reason, he, he didn't play as many minutes as he would have liked last season. We don't know why. I mean, Rashford's oh, he's, he's a super player as well. Lingard's done, he's done very well. He's done very well. All the low moves he's had, he's taken a bit longer to get into the first team at Manchester United. He's done that. He's done that very well. I hope this season those players are given the opportunity because when you're talking about playing with flair, you know, being very attack-minded, you have to give those players an opportunity to play because that's where your goals are going to come from. That's where your creativity is going to come from. So I'm sitting there hoping that all those guys are going to give an opportunity to play with freedom. You know, this season, they've got a massive season in front of them. Because like I keep saying, Manchester United do have the players to play attack-minded football. So those four boys, fingers crossed to get the opportunity. Like question and a heavy question. Like question, what do you think about the MLS? Heavier question, racism remains a problem in European leagues. What is your assessment right now of how European leagues are actually uh, stepping up to this issue? Okay, the, the MLS is, um, it's nice. It's nice, man, it's nice. It's nice, man. I, 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 I think, I think if, if I had the opportunity to play in the MLS, would I do it? Yeah. I think the game will only grow more in the MLS if you can get the younger generation to actually leave the top European leagues to come to the MLS. Now, how are you going to do that? I'm not sure. Well, it could be money... It could be, naturally, the standard of football gets better because to entice a 24-year-old top European player to leave Europe to come to the MLS, you're not going to be able to do it. And it, I don't think that's just down to money. You know, I think if you've got a chance to play in the Champions League or play in the MLS, not enough money is going to entice someone to win that to play in the MLS. So that, that's, a, that's a difficult scenario. Do you know another huge problem is when you get a player who is genuinely talented, good enough to play for the country, 
Toronto FC have experienced this recently. They come and play for uh, in the MLS, and their country manager says, "If you play in the MLS, we're n- I'm not going to pick you for the national side." And that's why I was okay with Italy not being at the World Cup. You know, if you're going to have that policy, but you know, so there's also that some international managers be like, "If you go and play there, you're not in the Italian side. You, you won't be in the French side if you play there." And players have had their international careers suffer as well from coming over. So you're right; it's not just money. And I, I, th- I think that's why the American national team will continue to suffer. You know, and unless that standard gets better, because I, I know the MLS is based on, you know, I mean, fitness, you know, typical American, you know, strong, fast, quick, whatever maybe. Technically, you have to improve as well. You know, to play in the, the big European leagues, you, you've got to improve. As for racism in, in the European leagues, how long has that been going on for? Yeah, but, you know? you, you got, I, I just can't believe that you can have banners like you have at games and get to host the World Cup. It just doesn't add up to me. I don't care how good the World Cup was hosted. I don't care how good the stadiums are. It, it's, it's about the head of football. That, that, for me, it rots from the head down. And you, I, I, I find it phenomenal that you can have certain open racism still in football matches in the last five years. And the bans are minimal. The bans are minimal. The fines are negligible. And you can host a World Cup. That is f- disgusting as far as I'm concerned. Uh, when you mention their money, there you go. So ultimately, money talks. So who knows where it's going to be in the next few years? We, we never know. Who, who was the... Because I, I know you've talked at great lengths before about your appreciation for those black players in the English game who put up with so much in the generations before you. I know one in particular hero of yours is Cyril Regis. Yeah, because without, well, Cyril was my pioneer. And without people like Cyril doing it for the likes of me to come through, I wouldn't be sitting in this room today. You know, because I, I know my mentality, what I was like when I was growing up and the racist element, the first thing I want to do is have a fight. Now, if those guys don't conduct themselves the way they conduct themselves, I can't conduct myself any better because if they'd have done what I believe was right, I wouldn't have been playing football. So I have to take from their positivity, move on to my generation. My generation has to learn from my positivity, and that's how it keeps going on. So you have to take your hat off to the first generation to give you the opportunity to play football at the highest level, to sit there, to be able to sit here in Toronto today speaking about football. Did your uh, kid appreciate that, that history? He's part of that next generation of players. Does, does, does he appreciate that? You, yeah, you he, talk I, to him about yeah, it? Yeah, he appreciates it a lot more, but because society's changed so much, you know, he, he doesn't find it a problem, you know, which is fantastic. But as I keep saying to him, the further down the line you go, you're going to see things, you're going to turn around and say, so, mm, I'm not too sure about that. It's how you react to it. Because it's how I reacted to certain things when I was growing up, and for him to see things, how he's going to react for the next generation coming through as well. I think the one thing you'll pass on to him is that humility your parents taught you. So it's not a bad dad to have. Forget about the goals you scored in that front. Okay, here we go. Let, I love this. All the quests. We've all had three drinks. Let's have them. First off, thanks for uh, doing what you did for Manchester United, and thank you for being here. Um, second off, they are the politest football crowd we'd, I've ever been in front of. We'd like to take you back to the 99 final, and I want to know what Sir Alex said to you guys in the halftime team talk. 
In, sorry, what game was that? The the final of the Champions League, the, the final. Um, the final, he was phenomenal. I, I remember him saying, you know what? Do not come back into the dressing room looking at that trophy, knowing that you've not given it all. You know, I, I remember like yesterday, and when someone says that to you in the heat of battle after going so long, you know exactly what it means. You know, this might be your only opportunity. So don't ever come back in this dressing room with any regrets. And looking back at it now, I know exactly what it meant because we never had the opportunity to get there again as that team, even if we should have. But we made sure we left everything out there on the football pitch and we were fortunate to win it that season. So it was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. I have a question for you. How long do you think you've been in this stage? I've just looked at the clock for the first time. And I how long would you say? I don't know. We're just approaching two hours. It was oh, meant to be oh, 45 oh. minutes. So thank you, Andy, because I've, you know, a lot of players would be like, you know, and, you, you know, you're sitting here talking. We'll, we'll take a, let's take a couple more questions. Um, so where we get? Yes, happy days. Uh, thank you, Andrew. Uh, one question I had is, we all love training ground stories. So one famous story is Ronaldo and Scholes, where he points at a tree and says, can you hit that tree out? Have you seen a player do something in training? It might be Scholes, it's himself, that makes you just mind blown. You're like, how did that, how do you just do that? I've, 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 I've trained with numerous players and, you know, I've, I've never been surprised just how good some of these players are. You, you mentioned Paul Scholes. He was phenomenal. His range of passing was unbelievable. You know, and I remember when I was a young player and I, I trained with England and I, everyone says about John Barnes, how good he was and whatever. To watch John Barnes at close quarters, oh my God. Oh my God. What a talented individual he was. I, I mean, I, I, he didn't play for Manchester United. He played for Liverpool. He played for England, but... When I used to go away with England and watch him, unbelievable talent, unbelievable natural talent. And he was, he didn't get as many caps for England because people didn't believe in him the way he should have. But I remember the goal, and no doubt, we all remember the goal, the goal he got against Brazil. Yeah. That told you everything about John Barnes. He's one of the best players I've ever seen. What a player. I think it's, yeah, it's sort of you guys would have watched John Barnes play for Liverpool and never wanted him to score. Uh, and I would have watched it, you never wanted you to score, but you have to be a Neanderthal not to see that the player is brilliant, you know? And I look back now, especially at the, you know, what I call sort of football's dead history. It happened, it's over, the trophy's there. And he, he, Keane's a player for me. I'll always look at Roy Keane and say, I think he's one of the greatest players I've ever seen play football. You mentioned Dennis Irwin. I think the most underrated United player I've, I've ever seen play. So good. So I think when you're a football fan, it might be through gritted teeth, but you've you got to sort of acknowledge great footballers. Um, here we go. Sir, I don't want to put pressure on you. It's two hours. This is the last question of the night. Right? Make it a good one, sir. Make it a good one. All right. <laughs> That's not a good start. Right. So um, I was born in Lambeth, came here when I was nine years old, uh, played a little bit of football in high school, and really got turned on as a young adult watching you fill up the network goals. My grandmother said to me a long time ago, if you never ask, the answer is always no. Okay. Would you do me the honor of signing the back of my jersey? Yes, no that problem. is a brilliant end. Not a problem. No problem. Listen, Thank you me. come up here properly, sir. Come on. 
come on up and get that signed. And what a good place to wrap things up. Listen, as you know, uh, there's qualifying for Champions League that's going to be streamed on the zone. Then at the start of the group stage, every game streamed live. It's the first time we've ever done a proper studio. There will be problems. It'll hopefully go well. It won't always go well, but we're going to be the fan station. So thank you for coming tonight. You're on the list for good. And as our friend leaves the stage, we wrap up our first zone event here in Toronto. Here's to many more. But ladies and gentlemen, the start of tonight, Andy Cole. That's the off-air bit, we're off-air, so that's good. I, I literally had to leave the stage because I couldn't be filmed clapping along to your song. Listen, Andy, you right to sign some? Five. Are you okay to sign some autographs? Cool, so Andy's going to sign some autographs here for you. I will probably, I want to get him pissed tonight, so at some stage I will pull him away. Listen, genuinely, Cherry, when we were handing out the tickets, did we get everyone's email addresses? We do have them. Do we also know the ones that turned up and the ones that didn't? Good. Okay, if you turned up tonight, I swear to God, the next thing we do, we'll make sure you get the email first. We really appreciate it. We're all shitting ourselves because we've never done this in Canada before. So for you to come and make tonight as good as it was, thank you so much for coming. We really appreciate it. So thank you.